0: Wamsley Radio Show are those of the host, Del Wamsley, his guests, and his callers, and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of this station, its affiliates, its management, or advertisers. The Del Wamsley Show is for entertainment purposes only. Please consult a professional regarding your personal investment needs. Nothing presented on the Del Wamsley Show constitutes an endorsement, recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any
2: product or security. Del Wamsley here. The first thing you're going to have to learn is that until you stop expecting our politicians or anyone else to change your life, your life isn't going to change. The only person who can change your life is you, but you need to know how. Listen to my show, the Del Wamsley Radio Show, where the hype ends and the help begins, right here on KCAA, now broadcasting on 1050 AM, 102.3 FM, and 106.5 FM, the stations that leave no listener behind. KCAA Loma Linda. Listen online at www.kcaaradio.com.
3: KCAA Radio now joins the Sunday morning worship services of the Pruitt Baptist Church in Van, Texas with Pastor David McNary.
4: good to be here with you all this morning, to be uh, at the Pruitt Baptist Church. Brenda and I are, have been praying for you all, and we know that you all have been praying for us, and we feel your prayers. We can feel your prayers, uh, we can feel your prayers, and uh, we know that you are encouraging us and supporting us, and, and uh, different texts we have gotten, and emails, and you know, I think there's a little bit of an excitement about what God's going to do, you know, um the, the gospel is not based on any one man except Jesus Christ, amen? amen? And he's our leader. He's the one who leads us and guides us, directs us outside of him and a feeling of his spirit. There, well, there's really not much to any of us. It's, it's the Lord that makes the difference. His presence in our lives, uh, his activity, and then our submission to him just to let him go ahead and do what he wants to do uh, in our lives. It's been a great week. I don't know if you heard or not, but this is the first thing that happened to me. Not, not this week, but a uh, week before last. Um, I was thought I'd sneak up here, everybody was gone, you know, Ron uh, was gone to camp and Chris was also gone and uh, so that week, I snuck up here one day on a Thursday and was going to put some books in the, my library and, or in the office and uh, I had gotten instructions from Brother Terry and he told me what to do, you know, about how to unlock the door and everything so I came in and, and I knew I was supposed to haul a bunch of books so I threw all my keys and everything, and my phone on the desk, and I walked back outside. Now, this is the first thing. This very first thing I did, walked outside, the door shut, and locked. <laughs> well, that's okay, because I got my truck. Well, wait a minute. My truck keys are in there also. <laughs> wait a minute, my cell phone. My, no, my cell phone's in there, too. <laughs> so I stood out there for a little while, and so I walked across the street, and uh, asked, I talked to a young man, Mr. Harvey, and borrowed his phone, and uh, had to call Brenda, which was a number she didn't recognize. And so I had to leave a voicemail, please call J.D. down at the uh, gas station to tell him to come and rescue me. And so I came back over to the office. I was just standing there just trying to say, now, this is part of God's plan. Somehow the Lord's working in this. And Bill Krim drove by. And I said, he said, hey, Brother Mike, what are you doing? I said, Bill, you don't happen to have a key to the front door, do you? And he goes, I sure do. And he let me in. So Lord was just kind of teaching me there. He always going to provide a way. Amen. He's always going to provide a way for the gospel. I want you to think about Van, Texas. I want you to think about our area in Van Zant County for a moment. I want you to think about people who don't know the Lord, who are not in church, who are not serving God, who don't know anything about God. I want you to think about them, about them for a moment this morning and think about how they need him. And so how's God going to do that? How's he going to reach those people? I want to encourage you this morning that God will provide a way. And I also want to encourage you this morning that he will provide that way I believe he wants to provide that way through you as a church and as individuals, and he wants to speak. I have a very favorite passage of Scripture out of Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 12 that I want to share with you this morning. My very first message here to the Privet Baptist Church, my church family, my home, and I want to share a verse of Scripture out of, out of this because Paul's going to share his passion here. And um, you may have lost your passion. You may be living life and just kind of going through life to see what the next thing happens. But here's a man who has a a very distinct passion. He knows what his focus is. He knows what life is all about. And it's going to be revealed in this passage of Scripture right here. Beginning Beginning in chapter 1, verse 12 of Philippians, Paul writes and he says, Now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. So that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. And that most of the brethren are trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, having far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Some to be sure are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed, and this I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectations and hope, that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now be always exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. What do you think Paul's great passion was? And what was life all about for him? Listen, guys, it was about the gospel. And whether you drive a truck or you work in an office or you're retired or you're not old enough to work yet, I'm going to tell you something. Don't ever forget this. Your life is about the gospel. It's about the gospel of Jesus Christ, who you marry, who you date, where you go, where you spend your free time, how you have your fun, where you go on vacation, all of that is related to the gospel because it's going to affect somebody in relationship to the gospel. O too, what, what, oh, too many are the woes of Christians, of Christians who think, I have my Christian life, but I've got this other life over here. And the two are not separate. You have one life. That is one life that has been, been redeemed by the blood of Christ. You belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, and life is about the gospel. What's going on, amen? Amen. And what's going on in this passage right here is a very interesting thing. You know, Paul, this is one of my favorite letters. This is one of my favorite passages out of this letter. But what Paul is doing is he is writing to a very favorite church of his. He loved this church. They had a very special relationship. He had a very successful ministry there. And so he is writing to let them know about some different things that are going on in his life. He has been in prison. He had had a successful ministry there, but he now has been in prison. And so he's worried that they're worried about him. Now, those of you who've ever heard me preach this passage before, I've got to share this little, this little niche about this. But, you know, what Paul is doing here, he's using what's called a disclosure statement. It's a way for him to introduce his circumstances. I love that. It's a literary tool that he used to say, hey, by the way, this is how I'm, this is how I'm doing if old Leslie Good was going to write me a letter and I lived in California, he'd say, hey, Calhoun, this is how I'm doing, and he'd fill me in on what was going on in his life. That's what Paul's doing here for the Philippian church, and he's trying to reveal some of the circumstances going on in his life. He says, now, I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. Now, what would they have been saying? they had been saying they would have been worried what has happened to Paul, what's happened to him in the midst of his imprisonment, the loss of his freedom. I heard that he was being kept by the Praetorian Guard. You know, he was on his way to make a case before Caesar, but he's been sidetracked, you know, and, and uh, he, he, his ministry's been sidetracked, and he has all these distractions. What's going on with Paul? And he fires a shot over the bow, and the first thing he says is, hey, guys, everything's all right, because the gospel is doing better. Amen. I love that kind of guy. I love that kind of attitude that no matter what's going on in a family's life or in their individual life, and it may be hard. It may bring tears. It may, it may be suffering, but you say, but you know what? I know God's working in this. I know God's working in this. I don't know what's going on exactly, but I know God's working in this. And it's helped furthering the gospel. So he is giving a disclosure statement, and in the midst of doing that, he shares his passion. I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. Now, the word that he's using there for progress, it's a very special word. And I'm a, I'm a very special words kind of guy. I, I love to look at these kind of words. But that means it's not like whenever you're, on a, uh, you're inside your kitchen and then a slug is kind of sliding down the, the uh, window pane. It's not that kind of advancement, progress, okay? Yeah, that sound awful. Now, a lot of Christians think that's how the gospel is supposed to go. It's just like a slug sliding down a pane of glass. No, it's like a, it's like a fish trying to swim upstream and he's got to swim around rocks, and he's swimming against the current. And, whoa, there was a bear that almost got me, and he leaps over. the. That's the kind of progress he's talking about. He's saying that, look, even though in the midst of my circumstances, I want you to know the progress of the gospel is still going forward, just like a a fish swimming upstream, just like a mighty plan or a mighty army marching forward into what it is they have been called to do, the advancement of the gospel, God's plan. Still moving forward. Are you that kind of person when you think about the gospel and when you think about your life? Or do you think about your life and you're just being carried away by your circumstances and you feel defeated and you feel like you're not going to make it and you feel like, I don't know, I just don't know what's going to happen? Let me tell you something. God has got a better plan and a better attitude for you than that. God has got a plan for you that you're going to be like that fish I was talking about. You are going to make progress. This is seen all through the Apostle Paul's writings. In Romans 1 and 15, Paul said, That is why I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God unto salvation. And then in Romans 15 and 20, uh, he said, It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. And then 1 Corinthians, these are just a few examples. In 1 Corinthians 1 and 17, For Christ sent me not to baptize but to preach the gospel. Let me tell you something. Some of you are sitting in an office with somebody and they don't love the Lord and they may even be carnal and there's stuff you have to listen to and and you just feel like you're at their mercy. Uh, -uh. God's got you there for a reason so that you can have an impact on their life so that they can hear the gospel. Maybe Maybe not Apostle Paul, but you are like an Apostle Paul because you've got a story to tell. You have a gospel that has affected your life. Brothers and sisters, This man's life was about the gospel. And I tell you today that life is about the gospel of Jesus Christ and its advancement. Amen? Well, Brother Mike, how does that take place? Well, look what he says in the next verse. In verse 13, so that that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. And that most of the brethren are trusting the Lord because of my imprisonment. So I want to give you just a few examples of what Paul, what, what Paul is going through as the gospel is and how the gospel is being shared through those circumstances. First of all, he talks about his imprisonment. So the Apostle Paul was arrested. He was put in chains. We know that he had some kinds of bindings because of different, in other passages of Scripture, you hear him talk about uh, physically being bound. I mean, we, we assume that it was iron chains because he makes another reference to it in just a moment. And there's almost the idea or the picture of a chafing around those chains. So in the midst of those chains, um, he has found a way to go ahead and to still preach the gospel. Now, this is great freedom for some of you this morning. Some of you who are here this morning, you feel like you're trapped. You're trapped by something. You're trapped by a job or maybe you may even feel like you're trapped in a marriage or you're trapped in a circumstance. It may be physical or financial. You think you're trapped and it feels like a chain and that God can't, he just can't work through that. I'm going to tell you something. God can work through that. God can work through that. Uh, just a few years ago, and uh, maybe I went a little bit overboard, but I'll tell you what. I drove the nurses uh, when I had some different medical procedures and I was going through a bout with cancer. I drove them nuts. Brenda had, to put, Brenda had to put her hand on me and tell me, honey, that's enough, that's enough, that's enough. But you know what? I thought, you know what? If this is my last uh, rodeo right here, I'm going out telling them about Jesus Christ. You know what? I'm going to go out telling them about the Lord. I, I, they met, they, I may be in a hospital. They may be a doctor. They may be able to knock me out with some drugs here in a minute, which they did. <laughs> Somebody please put a shot in that guy and shut him up. But I was going out telling them about Jesus. I've seen some of you doing that. I've walked up some of you, behind some of you at Brookshire's or at the gas station or at a, a restaurant, and I've heard you encouraging or praying for someone. And even in the midst of a terrible circumstance that felt like a chain, felt like a prison, you were still promoting the gospel. This was Paul's challenge. He said, Paul had found out the wonderful spiritual ability to look upon his chains in the cause of Christ. So that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ. See, the cause of Christ. When your life is about Christ and your life is about the gospel, you can't lose. You can't lose that battle. And so this became his great challenge. I want you to know that is my challenge today. I don't always do what I'm supposed to do or say what I'm supposed to say all the time. Sometimes I miss a perfect opportunity and it walks by. But that's our life's challenge. He had found a way to look at his chains, know that it was the challenge of Christ to share the gospel, and he did not miss an opportunity. How much so, Brother Mike? Well, look what it says in that verse again. That Christ has become well known throughout the whole praetorian guard. The whole Praetorian Guard. I love studying ancient history and in particular French history about Napoleon but one of my favorite is Roman history and Roman soldiers and the legions and the military technology. I mean this is great. I love, mili- I love military history. These guys these guys were no Mickey Mouse man. They were the elite soldiers of the day. They were a hardened group of men Uh, A a Praetorian would tell a Roman soldier to kill someone, and that person's life would end right then. It didn't matter if it was a man, woman, child. They were hardened soldiers. And yet this little frail, meek man was in their presence and in their charge and in chains. And who was winning that victory? Paul was winning the victory. The gospel was winning the victory. The Holy Spirit was winning that victory because he saw it as a chance and an opportunity. What is it that you're going through today, right now, this very moment? And your captors are really your audience. That group of people that that are not supportive of you, that don't love you, don't care anything about you, that's who God has sent you to. Three groups, his captors, we've already spoken about, and the second group was the crowd. He He says that the whole Praetorian Guard, and then he adds, and everyone else. Sometimes we get, in the, and Brother Ronnie will be able to relate to this, sometimes we get the idea that we're just supposed to witness to and be after the, the worst of the worst and lost of lost. No. We're after all of them. You know, there's some poor soul out here, some poor family, and they don't even, they don't even know the name of Jesus. They moved into Van last week. We don't know who they are. It could be anybody. But well, we're just supposed to be after them. No, we're after that one. We're after the person person who thinks their life's completely all right, pays their taxes, upstanding in the community, and he doesn't know that he's lost. He and his wife don't know that they don't know Jesus. You can't put on the kind of blinders that, that we would miss anyone. We want this same testimony, the whole Praetorian Guard, which would have been obviously the enemy, but also everyone else. And this is a mixture. A lot of commentators think that this is a mixture between not only pagans, but maybe even some Christians who had grown quiet, who had grown quiet in their witness. Are you one of those Christians? Oh, you you remember when you were on fire and you remember when you would share at the drop of the hat. You remember when you were first saved and how real the story of Christ was. You, But you've grown quiet through the years. Paul's witness, Paul's testimony would have inspired you. Not just for the old mean rough Roman guard, but for everyone else. Their hearts were touched. It's been known through all the whole Praetorian Guard and also to everyone else. Now look, the 14 is kind of a hard one, but look what he says in verse 14. And most of the brethren are trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment and have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. I dare say to you this morning that sometimes we as Christians, as we're laboring in God's fields and we're wiping the sweat away from our brow and we're wiping bottoms or feeding children on a Wednesday night or doing what we know how to do, we get a little bit discouraged. And I don't know about you, but when I run into that person at Brookshire's and I'm in one aisle and, and just around the corner, I hear a brother or sister encouraging someone or maybe praying for them. I'm encouraged. I'm encouraged. And I mean, I consider myself one of the brethren who are trying to serve the Lord. And when, when you do that, when you provide that kind of witness, yes, not only to the roughest of the rough, are they encouraged, but everyone else is encouraged. And I tell you, at Pruitt Baptist Church will be encouraged. You know, just hearing, you know, hearing the choir as they get up this morning, as they got up this morning to sing, what an encouragement as they carried out that ministry. Um, when I come up on Wednesday night and see the youth being ministered to, what an encouragement that is to me. It's encouragement also to the brethren. And they needed that encouragement in those hostile times. Fellow believers needed that kind of encouragement, yes, even in hostile times. At the end of this second point here, I would say this to you this morning, and that is that your life matters to the gospel. Your life matters to the gospel. God save us from the kind of religion that tells us that I can participate when I want to participate, and, you know, I can either take it or leave it, and I hope it all is going to work out. You're a pan millennialist, You hope it all going to pan out in the end. Let me tell you something. Your life matters, and whether you're speaking or serving for the Lord, that's going to matter for the gospel of Jesus Christ that's gonna be part of my invitation in a moment is your life matter does it counting for the gospel for Jesus Christ we can't afford today in the 21st century y'all see the country I don't have to sit here and talk about the culture today you know how bad it is you know how bad it is and we can't afford a period of Christian anonymity I'm just a silent Christian I'm just a secret agent Christian I'm just kind of working behind the scenes gee I hope we all get there God save us from that God save us from that we need some more bought of the blood, bought in the blood, baptized of the Spirit, empowered of God, men and women and boys and girls who are not afraid of the world, who want to take the, the message of Jesus Christ to lost and dying people. We need more of those. We need more of those. Your life makes a difference. You play a role in the gospel, Pruitt Baptist Church. Back 19, this is one of my favorite testimonies. I probably not to tell it too many times, the time I know you. But sometime in the mid-1950s, a young man and young woman left seminary at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, and they drove out to California, and they drove into Santa Maria, California. When they got there, they had something like $14 in their pocket. It was all they had, which was a lot of money then, but that's all they had. They pulled into a station, and they were looking for a home. And they asked the gas station attendant, said, hey, we're looking for a place to live. You know, I'm a pastor. I just came out of Dallas. Do you know where I might be able to find a place to live? And he said, no, but I know where they're they're looking for a church. They're about to plant a church. And he went there, and he actually got that church, and he helped plant that church. There was a young couple from Oklahoma, and they came, and uh, he led that couple to the Lord. uh, They were from Texas, and this other young couple was from Oklahoma. It was part of that great migration heading west where people were looking for work. And Wilma and Clarence were saved and became trustees in the church and Sunday school teachers and did training union. I can't remember what they called it then, but they were having a glorious time. And they were fine people, and they adopted three children, and one of them's preaching to you right now. Let me tell you something, the gospel matters. Joyce and Ed didn't know they were going to lead a couple to Christ and then encourage them to adopt children, that I would be one of them, that I would get saved, and that I'd be standing before you. But God knew. And what lives can you affect? Who are the people that you're going to affect by just being the kind of Christians that God, the kind of followers that God wants you to be? You have no idea the eternal consequences of you just being a faithful Christian. Now, Paul did all of this, not in a perfect environment, but was in in the midst of mixed motives. Look what he says in verse 15. I'm moving on. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from good will. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel. And the former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. This is, this is important for you. I'm not saying, and Paul's not saying, just because you decide, you make a commitment to the Lord. You make a commitment to this church. You make a commitment to Pruitt Baptist Church. You know what? There's a firefight going on, and I'm getting in the fight. Now, there's a war going on. I'm getting in the war. I mean, I've been sidelined for a while, but I'm getting back in. Listen, that it's going to be easy and that you're not going to have obstructions. Paul was doing all of this in the midst of people preaching against him in that same community. He said, some are preaching Christ even out of envy and others out of strife. Uh, the word that he uses for envy in some different translations, you're going to find it was just simply out of jealousy. They were jealous of Paul's ministry they were jealous of him personally. We don't know all the details. I'm thankful that they didn't go into too much detail because we just know there were those in that community that were against him. And he said some were out of strife; they were just quarrelsome. They wanted to fight. I mean, we can't imagine that Paul was quarrelsome back, but there were those in the community that wanted to fight with him. And then there was a third group, and those were preaching out of good. Those were preaching out of goodwill. Um. If you decide, if you recommit yourself to the gospel, you recommit yourself to the kind of Christian life you know that you're supposed to be living out. You're going to have those. You're going to have to deal with strife. You're going to have to deal with problems. You're going to have to deal with those who are jealous jealous of you. Paul doesn't address any. He doesn't. He doesn't attack them. Look what he says. Look what Paul's answer to that is in verse 18. He says, "What then? Only that in every way, in whatever pretense or truth." Christ is proclaimed, and I rejoice. Now, man, I want that kind of heart. You can't beat that guy. He was, he was, he was under the guard of Roman, Roman soldiers. And you know what he said? He just kept on loving him anyway. And he said, you know what? They're preaching against me at these other places, at these other venues. He said, I don't care as long as Christ is preached. At least the gospel is going forward. And that ought to be our attitude. Amen? Amen. I, don't, I don't know what they're doing at First Baptist Dallas this morning. I don't have anything against them. I don't know if they are for us. I don't know what they're doing at First Louisiana, First Baton Rouge. It doesn't matter. What I'm concerned about is what's going on right here in Van, Texas, right here at Pruitt Baptist Church. And am I being faithful? And I've got to keep my eyes on my own stuff. Keep my life, keep my eyes on my own life. First time I heard, you ever heard, make sure you got your own front porch cleaned off before you do it. I'd never heard that until I moved to the South. It means make sure you keep your eyes on your own business. That's, that's the life I've got to worry about. Is my life? Am I being the kind of Christian man that God has called me to be? Paul was completely and passionately in love with the gospel of Jesus Christ. He wanted to see it continue to be promoted. Titus 3 and 3 says, We ourselves are also sometimes foolish. We're also sometimes foolish and disobedient and deceived serving diverse lust and pleasure living in malice and envy hateful and hating one another
0: say goodbye to your credit card rewards greedy corporate mega stores led by walmart and target are pushing for a law in congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets the durbin marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it if you love your credit card rewards tell your lawmakers hands off my
4: after that the kindness and the love of God our Savior towards man appear. And what Paul's saying in that verse in Titus, it says, yes, we've all got those elements within us, but after we meet Christ Jesus, he changes our life. Who were they, brother Mike? We don't know. What were their motivations? We're not exactly clear. It could have been those who were upset with Paul just because he was in prison. They thought he might have been bringing shame to the gospel. It could have been those Judaizing ...group within the city that he was preaching at Philippi. It could have been just hostile civil authorities... ...were just not for sure. And there might even have been a group that was against him... ...because he was suffering. And it was that old health and wealth group that said... ...well, if he's suffering, he must be doing something wrong. Paul found a way around all that. He just loved him anyway, as long as Jesus was preached. The brethren were motivated by the man. They were motivated, motivated by the gospel... They were motivated by his defense of the gospel. And we could say of the Apostle Paul's ministry, his ministry mattered. I can't help but think. I can't help but think. One of the saddest times in, uh, as I was studying, studying at DBU uh, in missionary, bio, uh, missionary biographies was about a statement a teacher made, a professor made, about the flood of missionaries that went into darkest Africa. And Africa just swallowed them up, but they went anyway. And they sold, their, they sold their, their farms, and they sold their businesses, and they got up to hawking their eyes, and they went anyway into Africa. And I asked the professor, I said, he said, I said, would you mean like during that period of time, you mean like tens or hundreds? He said thousands, lots of missionary agencies in the United States during that period sent thousands into Africa, and Africa just swallowed them up. They gave their lives, not loving their lives, Brothers and sisters, here we are, and here we are in Van, Texas. Here we are in Van, Texas, and we have a school district, and, and there are homes that don't know Christ. There are homes that are not praising the Lord, and that's where we need to take the gospel. That's where we need to take Jesus, and sometimes it comes through taking somebody a meal. Sometimes it's through ministering to somebody on the side of the road. It's by helping someone who's maybe behind an electric bill, but we can find a way to make an impact and a difference in life. No matter what, no matter what everybody else is saying, we can do what it is that we've been called to do and make sure that the gospel continues to go forward. I know it's challenging. I know some of you are here this, I know some of you are here this morning and it's because we're, we're friends. Maybe our paths have crossed somewhere. You, you've ministered to me or I've ministered to you in some way and you're here and I want you to know I love you and I support you. But here, I'm throwing the gauntlet down now because it's not about me. Somebody say amen. amen. What do you plan to do for the gospel? Because I want to be like Paul. I want my life to be about the gospel. Do you have a plan where for what it is, and what people are going to say about you, what the Lord's going to say about you in your ministry? My first challenge is that if you're not a Christian, that this morning you'd be saved. You'd come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That's the first thing we're concerned with. But the second thing is for you to be a real Christian, to be a real follower of Jesus Christ. Pruitt Baptist Church needs real followers of Christ. We need those who are going to be dedicated and who are going to, are going to be faithful and who are going to support the mission of reaching this community. We need you to be real. And the third thing is we need, we need those who want to be with us. Now listen, I know when we put our name down on a card and we sign and we become a member of a church, listen, I know, I know cosmically that really doesn't do anything, but I'm talking about your heart. We need you here with us. We need 100% of you. And we need 100% of your passion, a broken heart for the lost and dying of this community. Are you willing to do that? Because that's the invitation this morning. To be saved, to be real, and to be with us. That's what Pruitt Baptist Church needs. You know, God could, God could save everyone in this community and he wouldn't even have to use us. But he's giving us an opportunity to work with him and his mission. He's already working. He already loves the lost people of this community. He already loves the unchurched. But he is allowing us as his people to go and to minister and to just be real men and women of God and see him do a work in their life. Because it's not about any man other than Jesus Christ himself. He's the one who makes a difference. Are you ready to make that kind of commitment? You come on and join. Don't, I'll tell you what, I, I don't usually do it. Don't pray, don't pray about it two or three weeks, two or three months. The Satan will talk you out of it. Some of you are so scared right now, you're thinking, oh, my goodness, I can feel it. The Lord's calling me. I'm, I'm supposed to become a member of that church, or I'm supposed to get saved. You feel the fear right now. Well, go ahead and kick Satan in the teeth. And you tell him, you know what, I'm going to go ahead. I'm throwing in with these people. They're real. They're trying to do something for the Lord. I'll tell you what, I'm not a kingdom builder, but I am a kingdom seeker. And I'm seeking a kingdom, and we're going to do that together. Amen, Pruitt? Amen, Amen Pruitt? Amen. Let me pray for you. Father, we just ask you to be in the invitation time this morning, dear Lord. Father, we want to do something for you, Lord, as a church, as a church body. Lord, this church is already working. They're already serving you. I'm so thankful you've you've sent us here, dear Lord, to work alongside them, dear Lord, to minister with them. And, Father, I know that there are people that are here this morning, dear God, and you can use them in a mighty way. And whether it's through them rededicating their life or their church membership dear Lord or whatever it is you want to do I pray that you would work in their lives this morning dear God it's not about Mike Calhoun oh my goodness no it's about the man Jesus Christ who died on a cross for the sins of a lost and dying world and Father God we just invite your spirit now to continue to convict and encourage us Lord if there's one that's here this morning and doesn't know where they're going to spend eternity we pray that they'd come this morning and be saved we pray all this in Jesus precious name and all God's people said
3: you are listening to the Sunday morning worship services of the Pruitt Baptist Church in Van, Texas with Pastor David McNary. If
5: you have a Bible, turn with me to 1 Timothy, please. 1 Timothy. You know I'm a simple guy and I like things simple. How about you? Doesn't mean that we can't enjoy some complicated things, but I like it simple. Sometimes those complicated things help to stretch and challenge our minds and and help us to think about things. You know, we like reason and logic, but I like it when it's really simple so that I can make my decisions and, and it's always clear cut. Now, that's not always true in life, but I like it that way because simple is easily understood. And that's what I want us to see today. I want us to see it simply, and the subject is titled, Why Jesus came into the world. Why Jesus came into the world. Now our tendency is to complicate it. Our tendency is to try to figure out how we can help God. You know, we want to help God out. Well listen, I want to tell you something. God's got this matter in control. He's got it in control. But you know, we like to discuss things. Sometimes we like to become philosophers. You know, we like to philosophize. I don't know if that's even a real word or not. But we want to become philosophers. We want to become historians and study things from a historical, only a historical perspective. And sometimes we want to be theologians. Now, theologians are interesting because some of them are haywire, okay? Now, some of them do a really good job and some of them are able to keep things down to earth. I've often said that sometimes theologians become so smart that they become so educated that they are educated beyond faith. In other words, they can't just believe, they have to figure it out. I once had a a commentary written by a noted theologian, quote-unquote theologian. He didn't believe that when the axe head fell in the water, fell in the river, He didn't believe that the axe head did swim. The Bible says the axe head did swim. Now we know that's an impossibility from our perspective, but nothing's impossible with God. And so what this guy said was, no, what really happened was when it fell in the water, he went and got a stick and he began to poke around in there until he finally stuck that stick back in the axe head and retrieved it. Which is easier to believe? You ever try to poke around in muddy water with a stick and find something? Well, if you think you can do that, then I'll tell you what you do. Take your wedding ring, go to the lake, and toss it out there and go find it. Wow. You can do that with a little stick if you're like that theologian was. Well, let's think about this. Why did Jesus come into the world? Some say He came to set an example and that He did. But that is not the primary reason that Jesus came into the world. Some say He came to show us God and that He did, but that is still not the primary reason that Jesus came into the world. Others say that He came to make us all better people and that He did and that He does, but that is not the primary reason that Jesus came into the world. Still others say, well, He came to teach us. He came to preach to us. He came to heal us. And that He did, but that is still not the primary reason that Jesus came into the world. So why did He come into the world? Well, that's our passage of Scripture. One verse, First Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. Paul, writing to the young preacher Timothy, says these words, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. I told you it was simple, didn't I? Why did He come into the world? Christ Jesus came into the world to save, save sinners. So Jesus came to save sinners. Now, why is that important? Because He recognized that we were in a dilemma. God recognized that we were in a predicament. God recognized, realized that. He knew it all along, but He realized that and He knew that Jesus was the only answer to our predicament. So first of all, I want you to notice the purpose. And the purpose is to save. I think it's interesting to notice Paul's choice of words in the beginning of this verse. He says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation notice that this is a faithful this is a faithful saying it literally means that the words that he is speaking are trustworthy they are dependable do not hesitate he would say do not hesitate to believe what i am saying to you then he says they are worthy of all acceptance you see one statement about what he was saying was not enough he wanted to add to it. He wanted to duplicate. He wanted to say it again in a, in a more powerful statement. And he said it's worthy of all acceptation. That means it's a this faithful saying is deserving of our complete acceptance. Now what does that mean? It means you don't have to look any further. It means you don't have to question. You don't have to doubt. It means you don't have to. Philosophize about it. You don't have to put it into your mind and waller it around and study it. Now listen, if we do that, a lot of times what we do is we confuse things because we begin to add to it things that we have learned out in the world. Things that we have learned in other places. And so he said, don't do that. This Word that I'm telling you is worthy of your acceptance. It's a faithful saying. It is deserving of your complete acceptance. Now folks, the word of the Lord is always the word of the Lord is always trustworthy. Now if you go back to Psalm 19 or if you go to Psalm 119, you will study and you will hear what he says about the word of God. Listen to these words beginning in verse 7 of chapter 19 of Psalm number 19. He says the law of the Lord is perfect. What is the law of the Lord? That's God's word. He says the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul, bringing salvation, in other words. He said the testimony, and that's the Word of the Lord, is is sure, making wise the simple. You see, whenever we come to this Word of the Lord, like we were talking about, I like things simple. Whenever you come to study what is simple, and you listen, you pay attention, and you learn what it says, and you apply it to your life, then you're no longer simple. You're wise, you see. You have learned some of the wisdom of the Lord because He said, it's as simple as this, do this, and you become wise. And so He says, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. And the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous, all together. Listen, you can depend on the Word of God. The Word of God is true. Now listen to this. And it never changes. It never changes. It's not like our laws. Not like our laws. Our laws change. The Word of God is the same forever and ever. Over in 2 Timothy chapter 3, and verses 16 and 17, Paul wrote to the young preacher Timothy, He said this, All Scripture, that's the Word of God, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Now, I think that's interesting. You can study the Word of God and you can learn the doctrine, the teachings of God. You can study the Word of God and you can be reproved. He will help you to understand the things in your life that don't need to be there. He says you can study the Word of God and it will help you correct those things in your life. You have to know about it first and then you can get it corrected through faith in Jesus. And then it will instruct you on how to live life in a right way. How to live righteously, he says, so that the man of God may be perfect. And that word perfect generally a lot of times translated mature thoroughly furnished unto all good works. In other words, the Word of God will show you how to live for God and how to minister unto the world, minister to you fellow men to do what is right. Folks, the Word is given to make us mature and to equip us for a life of service, the service of God in our fellow man. Now, No need to try to analyze it. No need to try to rationalize it. That is why Jesus came. The fact is, Jesus came to save. Now, the second thing I want you to notice is not only the purpose, but also the prospects. Who are the prospects? Notice that Jesus Christ came to save sinners. Now, I realize that Sometimes we think, well, you know, that's understood. You don't have to say anything about that preacher. That's understood. But in Matthew, In the beginning of verse 9, it records the instance when Jesus actually called Matthew to come and be one of His disciples. And in the following verses, it says that when He sat down to eat, that many publicans and sinners came and sat down with Him. Well, you can imagine the religious leaders of the day, they're watching this, and they're going, whoa, 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 wait a minute, what's He doing, you know? You know, that'd be like one of us leaving here and going to the bar, you know? And, and all of those uh, other religious people sitting around in there going, hey, hey, wait a minute, he's Baptist. What's he doing here? What's he doing here, you know? Well, that's what happened. These Pharisees and these religious leaders looked at him and they said, What in the world is he doing sitting down with them? And he said to them, They that behold, and he was, I believe he was pointing a finger at them. They that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. He said, I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He said, if you think you're okay, then I didn't come for you. Now, we know that He came for everybody. But you see, these guys, these Pharisees, and these religious leaders... They were standing on their own goodness. Their own piety. They were pious. Oh, what in the world is He doing sitting over there with those sinners and those publicans? Well, we don't want Him sitting over here with us, but why is He sitting with them? And that's basically what they were saying. You see, they were depending on their own self-righteousness. You remember the words of Isaiah? In Isaiah 64, verse 6, Isaiah wrote these words, he said, all our righteousness as are as filthy rags. Filthy rags. You know what the filthy rags were? The reference that He was making? Filthy rags? Bandages. You know, when you go into the doctor's office, you'll notice that there's a trash can and then there's another one over here that's all orange or red and has this warning signs plastered all over it and everything. This one is where you put your Kleenex if you blow your nose. But this one is where they put the bandages and the needles and, and all of that stuff that goes along. They don't want to infect anybody else, so they put that in a whole other area. Listen, that's what Isaiah was talking about. He says all our righteousnesses are like the filthy rags, the bandages from the leper colony, you know? And, and it was like the, the nastiest and the worst. And that's what Isaiah said our personal self-righteousness is like. Not only that, but you know, Paul said, there is none righteous, no, not one. He says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Jesus came to save sinners. And since every person is a sinner, then we all need to be saved. Now some of you are saying, well, I'm already saved, and praise the Lord for that. But there was a time in your life when you needed to be saved. Let me tell you something. You weren't born saved. Okay? You weren't born saved. And if you saved today, it didn't just happen to you. It was something, whosoever will may come. They sang it just a while ago. Whosoever will. You choose. Listen. You choose to be a Christian. You choose to believe in Christ. You choose, just like with any other relationship you have, You choose to enter into that relationship with God through faith in Christ. It's not something that just happens to you. Jesus, the Bible says He came to save sinners. Well, we need to talk one more thing about the person. The person. Did you notice what we read in the beginning? Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Who? Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus came into the world... To save sinners. Listen, we know of, and we have heard a lot about some good, good people, some good people, some people who have made a real difference in the world by their good deeds. You stop and you you can go way back, go all the way back to old Noah. Old Noah was uh, called by God to do a work. Now he he built a boat, you know, and I, that was an important work that he did. But you know what else he did that was more important than that? He preached 120 years to the people, and without one convert, he didn't have any converts. Okay, but he stayed faithful. Listen, he built a boat; just did it the way God told him to do it. But while he was building, or while he was uh, while he was designing, or while he was doing the architectural work, whatever, it is his God gave it to him, he preached the word. Listen, what about Abraham? Abraham? What about Abraham? Abram and Sarah? What about them? What about what about Moses? You know, Moses received the, the word of the Lord. He received the commandments of God and delivered them to his people. He was used of the Lord. What about King David? King David is is uh, is noted as, as a great great king and the, what about the prophets? We were reading this morning and studying in our Sunday school lesson Jeremiah and how about how Jeremiah was used of God to prophesy of the new covenant. The new covenant the covenant of the heart where we receive God through faith in Christ. What about the disciples? They did some great things. They preached great messages. You know, Peter preached and, and the 5,000 were saved. You, you go back and you think about those things. Listen, those were, those were great things. Mary and Joseph, can you imagine... Can you imagine? I would have loved to have just followed them around and just been hidden somewhere where they didn't know I was there where I could watch because after all, they gave Jesus, they gave Him understanding. They they helped Him to know how to live. They protected Him. They took care of Him. There have been good kings and good heads of state there've been great thinkers socrates and plato and aristotle that's those philosophers that i was talking about there've been many geniuses you know einstein what about what about great writers like shakespeare and researchers like pasteur and Salkin. and what about great inventors alexander graham bell who thinks that he may be king he invented, you see, they were, they were inventors. Henry Ford. I like Henry Ford. What about the Wright brothers? You know, been great presidents. George Washington and Abraham Lincoln. There have been some that's not so great, but there have been great presidents. What about some of these great preachers like like Wycliffe and, and Luther and Spurgeon and old Dr. R.G. Lee? You know, Billy Graham. There's nobody like Billy Graham. Folks, I want to tell you something. It was God's intention that all of these would do great things. They have helped us be better people. They have made life easier. And some of them even helped us to live longer. But not one of them, not a single one of them came with the ability or the purpose to save sinners. They can't do it. Only one came to do that. And only one can, could and can do that. Christ Jesus. Luke said, There is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by Me. You see, He is the door to the sheep and He is the Good Shepherd all at the same time. And all others who come to try to take His place are thieves and robbers and fakes and heretics. He told the woman at the well that He is a well of water springing up into eternal life. To eternal life. He only... Can do that. In John chapter 1 and verse 1 through 9, John wrote that he is the Word, the Logos, that he is the life, and that he is the light. He said, Now John came to show us the light, but he's not the light. Jesus is the light. John the Baptist said, He's the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. Only one Lamb, only one, and his name is Christ Jesus. You know, following the most quoted verse in the Bible, I don't have to tell you what that is, do I? John 3.16. Following the most quoted verse in the Bible, Jesus said, For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. You see, He came to save sinners. The message is simple. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And since everyone is a sinner, would you be saved today? If you're not already saved, if you've not already entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ, would you be saved today? Ponder those words. And you'll have an opportunity in a moment to call upon the name of the Lord To enter into a personal relationship with Him by His grace through your faith. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You that You make it simple so we can all understand. We thank You that Christ Jesus came. That He was willing to be the sacrifice that was necessary. That He was willing to take upon Himself on the cross all of our sins so that we might have forever forgiveness. And dear God, we're grateful that He saw us in our dilemma and came to rescue us. And that, Father, He, as He paid that price, He came to save us who are sinners. Oh, Father, He did so many other wonderful and great things that we talk about regularly. But God, we are so grateful today that we have the privilege to know that we can go to heaven and live with God forever and ever and ever as a result of what Jesus has done for us. Help us, Father, today to believe. Speak to our hearts, Father. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
3: You've been listening to the Sunday Morning Worship Services of the Pruitt Baptist Church in Van, Texas with Pastor David McNary. A podcast of this service is available on demand at the KCAA website at www.kcaaradio.com. To listen to this service at any time, go to the KCAA Sunday schedule and click the podcast link under the image of Pastor McNary. The Pruitt Baptist Church is located at 9908 State Highway 110 in Van, Texas. The Sunday worship schedule includes Bible study at 945 a.m., morning worship at 11 a.m., and evening worship at 6 p.m. For more information about the Pruitt Baptist Church, visit their website at www.pruittbaptistchurch.com or call 903-963-7473. KCAA
6: Loma Linda. Listen online at www.kcaaradio.com. This is InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Here's what's happening on this week's show
2: Privacy advocates say it's wrong for schools and vendors to collect and share the personal data of school students. Should laws regarding the use of student data be tightened? Parents should have the right to go and ask their schools what privacy policies are governing these platforms or apps or websites to make sure that their choices of either participating or not are being honored. Then. Is America raising a generation of couch potatoes? A study says 19-year-olds now get the same amount of exercise as 60-year-olds.
4: Something's going on from age 6 to 19. At each grade, from elementary school all the way to high school, there's less and less physical activity occurring.
2: Those two stories and more are coming your way on this week's show. InfoTrack begins right after this.
6: Men, if you're like me you appreciate the feeling of a clean, smooth shave from a quality blade. The sort of shave that cuts clean, without the burn. So why are you messing around with generic razors that cost 32 bucks for an 8-pack when you can shave with Harry's high-quality German-engineered blades for half the price? And because Harry's is so confident in the quality of their blades, they'll send you their most popular set— Complete with a razor, one of their world-famous blades, shaving cream, and post-shave balm for free if you cover shipping. A total value of $20 at no cost to you, with code 1150 at checkout. Their way of saying thank you for trying them. How is Harry's able to save you all this money and still give you the best shave you'll ever enjoy? By owning the factory that manufactures the blades. That's how. Go to harrys.com now and enter code 1150 at checkout. To claim your free trial set and post-shave balm, That's harrys.com. Code 1150.
0: Hey, Sue, check out
2: these sandals. I I don't wear sandals. They're so cute. Um, you know, I...
6: Dry, cracked feet? Carousel Intensive Foot Repair doesn't just cover. Carousel removes hard, dry skin, then deeply moisturizes and actually repairs. Feet look good so fast, you see a visible difference in just one day. Sue, you look great in these sandals. Get them. Yeah. Carousel Intensive Foot Repair. In the foot care aisle. See the one-day difference. GEICO presents a voicemail from your friend, Tree. Tree
7: tree here just calling to say thanks for letting me crash at your place the other night <laughs> well on your place it was a rough night i had a bit too much wind and i think i, I might have broke your chimney actually so yeah um, oh any chance you'd want to drop off my tire swing yeah i mean if not that's cool okay later
6: trees won't pay for tree damage luckily one call to the geico insurance agency makes it easy to switch and save on homeowner's insurance InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Here's your host, Chris Whitting.
2: Schools and others collect vast amounts of personal data on nearly every student in the country. Should parents worry? Should privacy laws be tightened? With this story, InfoTrack's Roy Mackey.
3: Roy? Thanks, Chris. Our guest is Rachel Stickland, co-chair of the Parent Coalition for Student Privacy. Your organization has tried to get the word out to parents that a remarkable amount of personal information about their kids is now being collected by schools and other vendors. What sort of information are we talking about?
2: Most parents are fairly accustomed to their schools collecting information that they share with the school, correct, like their student's name, their birth date, general information about their home address, email address. Those types of things, and what's happening now that schools are having to contract with a lot of vendors for their. Say
0: goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off, my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.
1: As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming.